This is the thing about technology. Whenever something new comes along, it scares people and people shy away from it. People are so lazy that even social media thirst traps are being outsourced now. <laughs> Imagine trying to explain that away. Imagine if you wasted thousands of dollars talking to an AI girlfriend. At $1 a minute, I wonder if talking to an AI girlfriend actually solves loneliness or does it make you feel worse? I think it needs to be normalized that it's okay to play with a photo but not with your actual face. Has it got to a point where it's getting a little bit too much. AI tech for good. We don't hear too many of them. We're often talking about the downsides, especially to voice clones and that sort of stuff. But this is a good one. I think it's one that Apple have thought a little bit about and it's going to be really good for a certain community. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Disconnected. I'm your host, Jag Sharma, joined by Jen Campbell and Jason Kapadia. Coming up, you can now get yourself an AI girlfriend for a dollar a minute there's a call to regulate social media face-altering filters. Your iPhone's AI brain will soon be able to speak in your voice. And Transport for London are using social media in quite an interesting way. So guys, why don't we make a start on a potential AI girlfriend for myself and maybe Jason and you know what, Jen, even for you if you want yourself an AI girlfriend. So 23-year-old Snapchat influencer uh, called Karen has started, and well, she's created an AI version of herself called Karen AI. And she's offered her 1.8 million followers on Snapchat the chance to date Karen AI, the AI version of herself. Karen AI boasts to have more than a thousand boyfriends at the moment with whom she'll spend anywhere from 10 minutes to several hours each day in individual conversations, discussing plans for the future, and sharing intimate feelings. So, yeah, this is the start of something. I'm, I've, all, I've seen other examples of this around. There is, there is also an app out there where you can build your own AI girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm sure there's many apps that do that. And then that creation of yours will have conversations with you and will presumably learn about you as well. But at the moment, I mean, if you, if you want to date Karen AI, at the moment, the, the launch is only via invite only. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Karen AI will be open up to the world soon. And, you know, she can go from thousands to, to millions of boyfriends. In terms of revenue, Caring AI has already generated over 70,000 US dollars in revenue. 99% of her partners are male. And there we go. That's pretty much all the info on it at the moment. What do you guys think? Do you think it's do you think a, a, an AI girlfriend for a dollar a minute? Do you think that's that's good value? I mean, I think it will definitely take off. <laughs> I think it's no different to people who used to call chat lines that were probably a dollar a minute that they called up as well. So I don't think the price of it is the issue. I think it'll, there'll be lots of people who'll be interested in it for sure. <laughs> you know, it's so crazy that people are so lazy that even social media thirst traps are being outsourced now. <laughs> and you know, it's actually a bit concerning that you know people would rather talk to an AI hot girl than a real hot girl. But I can understand. Um, slightly because you know if you don't have great social skills you can kind of practice on the ai uh girlfriend you know and also 
I can understand why some people would, because, you know, it doesn't really have the same kind of judgment associated with it if you are, you know, if you say something wrong or uh, I guess a bit controversial or something like that. And I guess maybe some young kids will use it to practice uh, until, you know, for uh, until they get a, a real girlfriend. <laughs> but um, at $1 a minute, I wonder if talking to an AI girlfriend actually solves loneliness or does it make you feel worse? What do you guys think? Mm, That's a good question. You know, I think overall, if done well, this could be a good thing. Uh, my concern is, and, and the article that I read on this, is that, you know, caring AI, the conversations can end up becoming sexually charged. And so that's where it's, it gets a bit disappointing. And, and, you know, to Jen's point about, you know, people previously calling hotlines or whatever. I, I think an AI companion could do a lot for people in the sense of, if you think about it, you know, we as humans, we thrive on interaction, we thrive on being understood, being listened to, and perhaps a good AI bot that actually sets out to be useful, to listen to you, but not just to agree with you and tell you you're amazing, actually try and almost coach you in a way and and help you build up your self-esteem or do whatever it is a a particular person uh, needs. So I think... You know, there is potentially AI companions in general, but perhaps this first iteration or, you know, what's going on with Karen AI is perhaps leaning a little bit to the um, superficial side. Interestingly, the company behind it, it's the company that's helped make this, uh, Forever Voices, their CEO made his first AI bot to simulate his father who had died from suicide in 2017. And so he created, you know, an AI bot of his own dad in order to kind of help with his grieving and to help him make sense of the world and move forward positively. So that's that's kind of to my point of where I could see the benefit of, you know, AI companions, AI friends, AI family members. Uh, but yeah, for this one, perhaps uh, caring AI is a little bit naughty. It's a shame, you know, that she's private and invite only because I was going to volunteer myself, guys, to um, <laughs> for research to spend, you know, as, as the article said, between 10 minutes to three hours a day with Karen and, you know, just, to, just for research purposes, you know, and then feedback to you on a weekly basis, you know, maybe even get her to contribute. I don't think we need the feedback. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> And at a dollar a minute, wow, you're going to be, like, you must have a lot of money, Jack. <laughs> yeah, John, I'll probably limit the spend. Yeah. Imagine trying to explain that away. Imagine if you, if you, if you wasted thousands of dollars talking to your AI girlfriend. I'd, I'd, give, I'd give it a matter of months before we see that on BBC News somewhere, you know. I had to sell my car because I, but yeah, Karen AI, yeah, Karen AI sure. bankrupted me. <laughs> well, all right. Well, there we go. Similarly, so we'll move on from that, but similarly, there are growing concerns and growing calls for social media face-altering filters to be regulated. So we're talking about things like the Facetune app. I think that's one of the more one of the more popular ones. There are other ones around, uh, like Perfect 365. And uh, even within social platforms themselves, so... You know, we can alter our faces on 
you know, everywhere now, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. A lot of them are for fun purposes, but, you know, some of these filters are to make ourselves look better, whatever better means. You know, in some countries already, there are things being put in place or government getting involved. Uh, Norway in 2021 introduced a law that requires social media groups to indicate whether a photograph has been retouched or not. France is now going one step further and they're looking to demand this kind of requirement across social for both photos and videos. Now, in the UK, it's kind of starting to go the same way. The, the, the online, you know, as the, as the online safety bill continues to make its way through Parliament, there are a growing number of people who are calling for some form of control to be put in place. And it's, it's an interesting one because, you know, I did mention Perfect 365 earlier, and they are about to launch a, an updated version of their their app soon, which uh, will also enable people to completely alter their face throughout the the entirety of a video. For those familiar with what's going on in, in China, this is already quite a commonplace in China. It's commonplace to be able to essentially film yourself on a long video and your face to be altered for the entirety of that video. There are, in fact, influencers, KOLs, uh, that have amassed millions of followers in China that, you know, no one has ever seen what they really look like because they have, they have, uh, you know, some form of face, face altering software in place. So I'm interested to know what you guys think about this. You know, is things like Facetune and Perfect 365, are they just a bit of fun, you know, and it's okay if you want to touch up your face via an app? Or has it got to a point where, you know, it's getting it's getting a little bit too much and a little bit beyond? What do you guys think? So you can regulate filters on your phone, but then should beauty photos from models that are plastered around everywhere, you know, be regulated too? Uh, should there be disclaimers on every magazine cover that's, you know, saying that this is not how the person actually looks now, my question is, you know, why regulate social media or these type of filter apps uh, when this type of thing has been going on for decades? Yeah, it's a really tough one. I think there's kind of different levels to it, isn't there? I think for advertising of magazines and things like that, it's almost already known that a lot of the images are retouched, but adding a, a watermark to it, say this has been retouched. Okay, fine. When you're talking about day to day and people using Facetune, I think, you know, it is a bit of fun. And I don't think it should go away. And I think it should still be accessible. Where it needs to be looked at, probably where I don't look at it enough, is with the younger generation and what then becomes their desired look versus just touching up a picture of themselves. Like I think it needs to be normalised that it's okay to play with a photo but not with your actual face. <laughs> and I think that's where the worry comes in, right? Give them five, ten years and they're all going to be getting plastic surgery to look like what they think they should have looked like when they use Facetune, when they have the money. So I think there's an awareness piece needs to be done. And yes, I think it's a good thing to regulate or at least highlight when people who are in a position of power or influence are using those filters so that people know this isn't what they look like. But I don't know that you can take the whole thing away. I think there is an element of fun to it um, that people enjoy. 
So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I think when they go through these kind of <laughs> like changes in laws and bills and things, it must be so tricky to figure out what the right balance is and who's being impacted the most to make a change. I mean, it's a shame the people listening can't see us right now because Jason always looks immaculate. And so I, I, I do wonder if there there is some kind of face tuning <laughs> going on. Uh, we know there's we know there's mood lighting. We know that from what we can see. But you know, Jason always always looking. Either got the best skin routine out of any man in London, or there is something going on there. But we don't know. We don't know. Um, it's almost like the cat's out of the bag now. And do you know what? This is the thing about technology. Whenever something new comes along, it scares people, and people shy away from it. It's similar to this whole recent thing of calling for development of AI to be halted for six months while governments think about what could be done, you know, what kind of government ever made a decision in six months. So, you know, and then maybe the, the good actors will halt, you know, their, their research into AI, but then the 40 other thousand entities out there would still carry on. And so my point about this is that we've had some form of face altering or touch up apps available on our phones now i'd say for it must be around 10 years must be maybe even a bit longer than that we've had these apps available to us and now the face altering and the tune-ups are just getting better and better as the technology improves and so it's kind of too late to reel it in and i think we just have to accept it because we can argue it one way but then the, there's always an argument another way. People say it gives them self-esteem, it gives them self-confidence. Maybe that's how they view themselves. They won't need to look in the mirror anymore. That's how they've chosen to, to look and be represented. And so I guess this is, this is the world we live in. If people want to represent themselves that way, they can. And you know what? Maybe they, they won't need to ever show their real face because they won't need a real partner. They'll have an AI partner. And yeah. <laughs> They'll be living in the metaverse, so they won't need to go out and about. There's some benefits to that, though, isn't there? You have an AI partner that you designed, AI children that you designed. It's all, you know, all easy, and you never even have to leave your apartment. Well, Jack, the problem with that is I think somebody would create their own AI that's better at pool than you, and then you'd be really upset. Well, then I'll just pay whoever. We have to see that. It, just, it all comes back to money, doesn't it? But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't know don't know i think i think it's uh but my point is i think it's the cat's out of the bag we can't stop it now if if there are 14 year olds out there that already face tuning they're not they're still going to be face tuning when they're 24 and it, it's so normal to them why are they going to stop and you know for every app that has a watermark there'll be there'll be an app out there that you could probably download to unwatermark any document or photo or video it's a good thing you guys listening can't see us, actually. There's no face altering here. Certainly not for me. <laughs> um, okay, moving on. Jen, you've got it's quite a nice story um, of what the iPhone might be able to do soon. Yeah, AI tech for good. So I don't know if you guys are aware, but the 18th of May is actually the Global Accessibility Awareness Day. So it's obviously looking at better accessibility to digital platforms for people with disabilities and impairments. And this is a really nice story, actually, that comes come out of Apple. So not a company we talk about too much, really, because it's not one of the social platforms who are messing around. Um, but they are launching some new assistive access um, features. 
coming up um, throughout this year, towards the end of this year. So their aim is to help people with cognitive disabilities um, have better accessibility through their iPhones, iPads, um, using FaceTime and other features. There are three core new features coming. So within the Magnifier app, there's going to be a detection mode. So you can point at any text and it will read it back to you. So you could point at a greetings card or you could point at you know something in the news and it will pick up the copy and read it back to you, which is great for anybody with kind of visibility impairments. The second is live speech. So that will read any text that you type. So you could be on FaceTime with your family and you could type in the text and it would speak for you. And you could do that in conversations over FaceTime, like I say. Um, and then the third one, which is really nice, actually, um, given the use case they've given, but for, is personal voice. So rather than you kind of typing and it giving you a Siri voice back, you could record some of your own voice and it will then generate personal voice based on what your um, text says. So it's kind of all designed for, like I say, anyone with impairments. I don't know. There's a, if you guys are aware, so ALS, so the the disease Stephen Hawking had. So 80 to 90% of people with it suffer from some sort of speech impairment. And I think their thinking behind this now is that this is going to help people with those sorts of diseases to feel a bit more in control and a bit more like themselves. So you're not generating a voice that's very computer or like oriented. Um, It does sound like you and it still gives your personality and it can still have some of the inflections that you have when you talk, which is really, really nice. It is designed in partnership with a non-profit ALS foundation called Team Gleason. And, you know, even they've thought about the UX of setting it up. So, you know, you need to be able to talk for 15 minutes to train this AI into what your voice sounds like. But you might have a disability that doesn't allow you to sit for that long. So you can actually go in, you can do a little bit, save it, come back later. Uh, It doesn't all have to be done in one go. So I think that's even quite nice from a UX perspective. Um, And my final point on it that I really liked is um, one of the things they said you can do, you know, you can tell someone you love them in a voice that sounds like you. And it's something we probably wouldn't think about and that we take totally for granted. But for people with these disabilities, it's actually really important. And it's really nice for both parties to have that kind of close connection, personal connection. So AI tech for good. We don't hear too many of them. We're often talking about the downsides, especially to voice clones and that sort of stuff. But this is a good one. I think it's one that Apple have thought a little bit about and it's going to be really good for a certain community. So I just wanted to highlight it. Can anyone use it? Like, so even if like a person's not suffering from anything and like they just want to record their voice for 15 minutes and then, you know, use it to send their, their family voice messages <laughs> I mean, yes, but there are other ways of doing that. You could just record your own voice message. But yeah, it is. I believe you just go into the accessibility settings on your iPhone and it'll be accessible to anyone. With this tech in everyone's hands, you know, I'm looking forward to all the phone scammers from India using it to tell me my computer has a virus and a proper British voice, you know. <laughs> just kidding. But no, it's a great feature. Yeah, it would be great to test it out when it's actually live and see if it actually can get these type of inflections and all those little nuances of your voice right because you know right now when you listen to an ai voice still it's a bit you know of that kind of uncanny valley that you know makes you feel a bit uncomfortable listening to it but yeah it's uh kudos to apple i'm sure google will follow suit soon <laughs> i think that's the other thing i think it's a bit um like forward thinking for a lot of people with these kind of disabilities and diseases right if you know that your speech is going to go eventually and that the ai can train over the next i don't know two, three months, whatever it might be, you'll probably get to the point where it sounds exactly like you because you've had the time to give it the kind of input that it needs. Jen, do we know when it's when it's going to become available? 
It just says later this year at the moment. Okay. All right. Well, one, one for us to watch out for. And, you know, we might test yeah. it. might test it when it launches and see how it takes to our voices. Brilliant. Well, thanks for sharing that, Jen. All right. Moving on. Jason, you've got an update from us from Transport for London. Yeah. So a few months ago, I was actually at the Transport Ticketing Global Conference very nerdy, I know. Um, <laughs> but um, at one of the sessions, they were actually talking about fare dodges and how it cost the UK £130 million a year in lost revenue that could be spent on better infrastructure and service for the rest of us. Um, so yeah, Transport for London actually said that they're actually using social media to identify chronic fare evaders movements and have already had success in catching them because uh, the fare evasion is actually being promoted actively on social media and so i can really believe it you know are these well, why are these people putting illegal activities <laughs> on on social media so i went on to tiktok and i used some hashtags like hashtag ticket inspectors and hashtag free travel in london etc and i found a bunch of people videos um, of people who are actually showing which stations are the easiest to board um, <laughs> and, and get off uh, at without any kind of ticket barriers or anything like that so you can travel free no through london and like, oh my god and there's uh, other people talking about how they actually can use contactless cards but without enough money on there uh, to actually just tap on the barrier and just go through because you know when you actually look at the the mechanism for it it doesn't have enough time to actually authenticate a real transactions you know it just opens the barriers so it lets you go through um and it's only after the fact that tfl kind of gets scammed so yeah i mean what do you think about these government bodies uh, are they going a bit too far using your social media posts against you or are those who are actually posting these being a bit daft I think you've also just given everyone the way to get on transport for free. <laughs> Contactless cards. No, why shouldn't they use social platforms? These people are stupid enough to put it out there and they think it's not going to be seen by. That's the whole point, right? Like, unless you've got a really private account, of course they could use it. Of course they can find them. And if you're stupid enough to put hashtags giving away who you are, I mean, all for, I'm all for it. <laughs> and especially the amount of money. I mean, I didn't realise that's the amount they're losing every year from fair evaders. It's crazy. So... I think, yeah, go for it. I'd like to see the results. It'd be good at the end to say, you know, we clawed back X amount or, you know, it's gone down by how much because we've stopped people from doing it. That'd be super interesting. When I first moved to London, you know, I was young, impressionable, very innocent to the world. And I used to get caught in a way where I'd, I'd have my, my Oyster card and I'd go through the barrier to leave the station and there would conveniently be someone waiting by the barrier and then as soon as i go through you can literally feel them up close right behind you coming through on the same you know time as you and i got caught a couple of times this and in the end i just started to spot them and then i would do like a fake thing where i'm about to go through the barrier and then i pretend and i I didn't take out my oyster card i took out the wrong card i'm like oh oh, and then i'd pretend and i'd done it and then i'd let them go in front and then they got all embarrassed because they're trying to scam their way out and then they would they would like look all embarrassed and walk away so i i enjoy doing that to scammers um <laughs> so jack i don't think i don't think they were scammers i think they actually just really like you uh, you know they just uh, wanted to get, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they wanted to get uh, up, up close to personal so uh, yeah it's nice that something's been done about it but then conversely the london tube there's no air conditioning 
right? There's no internet unless you're at a station, but you're only at a station between stops. So the air down there is terrible. Your nose ends up full of like the black soot, which I found out <laughs> is the brake dust. The trains are small and cramped. And yeah, it's like, and then the ticket, like if you have an all day zone, like one to four, isn't it like 10 pounds or 12 pounds these days? I don't know. It's, it's not, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. But then counter that argument with the only way they're ever going to be able to improve it is if people pay and they get the money to make the improvements. But if, if it was a bit cheaper, maybe more people would pay and less people would try and dodge paying a tenner a day, maybe more just to get to their job that they may not even really want to get to that badly. I mean, I think that's probably also true. I think that article I was reading said, you know, Rishi Sunak was saying that transport all over the country has gone up by an astronomical amount, but they've tried to keep central London prices low. So they've tried to keep the increases as low as they possibly can. I mean, I'm not sticking up for them. I agree with you. We've got, we are very fortunate in Hong Kong that our transport is cheap and it is excellent. Nothing ever breaks down. Everything is always on time. The aircon runs. You have Wi-Fi everywhere. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I think it's probably exasperated by how lucky we are. But, you know, it is what it is. People are dodging the fares, and if they can find them through social media, go for it. I mean, I'd be interested to know how they're doing it. Are they, have they got somebody sitting in TFL's office scouting through social channels, or have they got some sort of bot that's doing it? I imagine they're paying somebody to sit and do it quite manually. Imagine the, the cost to find these fare dodgers versus the cost to man the stations or just have more turnstiles that work to know. Anyway, still interesting. Good story. Thanks for sharing, Jason. So I guess the learning from there is to, to pay your train fare. So there we go. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, don't post it on yeah, TikTok. don't post it on TikTok. Although <laughs> we'll do post it on TikTok and then Jason will share us the guide. I'll ask you after the recording, Jason, what stations. You mentioned there were convenient <laughs> stations to get on and get off from but we can, we can talk about that <laughs> off air. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you to everyone listening. This was episode 46 of Disconnected. Thank you for your time. We'll see you on the next one.